Good morning. All right, y'all. Y'all know I get excited when I preach. I'm already excited. So here we go. Uh, we are in uh, the last chapter of the book of John. Last chapter of the book of John will be in John 21. Uh, we're going to uh, look at uh, starting at verse 15. So John 21, starting at verse uh, 15. Uh, if you're new here, it's our common practice to go through books of the Bible. We want uh, the scriptures to dictate what we talk about. And that is why we do it that way. Now, one of the things that I find interesting is when, when you come to preach, you, you want to talk about what's actually on people's minds, right? You want to talk about what is, is uh, uh, the, the heart issues, what, what people are dealing with. And the beauty of being a pastor is that when I get to talk to individuals, I see commonalities. I see commonalities of what people are thinking and what people are dealing with. And one of the commonalities that I hear often is that people are, are thinking, how do I get back to God? You know, oftentimes people might go through a season where they, they stepped away from God or they stepped away from they stepped away from, from what they knew to be right, but, but God is kind of tapping on their heart and they're saying, well, how do I get back to that? In other words, how do I have a sense of restoration? How do I have a sense of restoration? Now, this is true of all kinds of people. It's not just the people that you look at and think that, oh, they need some help. Even the ones who you think are the best of us, if you will, need help. We have times when our sins, our guilt, our history haunt us and we don't know how to get back we need to look at the scriptures to understand what is the pathway back when our sins are haunting us our failures are whispering in our ears where do we turn to and that is what we're going to look at today so in john 21 starting at verse 15 it reads when they had eaten breakfast jesus asked simon peter simon Son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he told them. A second time he asked him, excuse me, um, where are we at? He said to him, yes, you know I love you. Feed my lambs, he told them. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death. Peter would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, follow me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I am asking for the power of your spirit to be present with us this morning. Lord, your word is powerful. It, it reveals the intentions and the motives of our heart. It convicts us of sin, but it gives us hope. So by the spirit, would you accomplish the, the, the power, the presence, the intention of your word this morning? Lord, would we not only hear something that affects our minds, but that we would hear something that would sink down deep into our heart and produce change. Only you can do that. So we ask for your power. 
In Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, so I want to start with the question is, what do you do when you feel distant from God? What do you do when you feel distant from God? We can look at Peter and what he did in verse 3 of the same chapter. Peter says, I'm going fishing. Simon Peter said to them, we're coming out with you. They told him they went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now you're thinking, well, why does it matter that he is going fishing? Here's the interesting thing. The previous chapter, they had just seen the resurrected Jesus. Jesus had just risen from the dead. He showed them the scars in his hand. He showed them the scar in his side. They had just seen the risen Lord. And not only that, the risen, resurrected Jesus said, hey, I'm going to send you to all the known world to go and make disciples so that I might receive glory in every area of this world. Now, if the risen Jesus came to you and said, I'm about to send you on a mission, you 12 people or 11, and I'm going to change the world through you, you think they will be studying or something, right? That sounds like a pretty daunting task. I'm going to send you to go change the world. You think they'll be studying? I don't know, praying? Asking Jesus to come back and tell them something? But no. Why? Why wasn't he preparing? See, Jesus did not yet have full confidence that he was accepted and forgiven. We all know that Peter denied Jesus three times the night before he was crucified. And, and though Peter had, had some knowledge that Jesus said he would forgive sins, he didn't have full confidence. And see, here's the deal. Sometimes when sin is lingering in the back of our heads, we go to things that are common things that are ritual, things to distract ourselves so that we don't have to think about how distant we feel from the Lord. Does that sound familiar to you? Sometimes we are so immobilized by guilt and shame that, that we run from what God has called us to do. We often use regular, familiar things to distract us from our own souls, from our own emotion and from what God wants to do in us. See, Peter went back to, to what he knew. See, Jesus had called him to be a fisher of men, but he just went fishing. I don't know about you, but this, this season, I don't know how long this season of COVID is going to last, but this season has felt incredibly long. And see, like this last week, I'm not going to lie, I was feeling depressed. Another shooting, more rioting. All this conversation, this 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 vitriol, this 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 language around politics that is just dehumanizing. I felt depressed. And to top it all off, it took Chadwick, man. Y'all know if you know. And I was just I look, I, I was just tired of uh, the, the death and the destruction, the 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 discouragement, and and listen. My own emotions were jacked up and I needed to deal with them, but I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to go towards God. So you know what I did? I, I turned on the TV and I got some candy. I said, I'm going to just sit here and eat this candy and watch this show that doesn't require me to think about nothing. Now, that doesn't seem bad, but the reality is I was using that to distract myself from the, my own emotions that I needed to deal with. And from the God who could heal me. 
This is what we do. Some of it might be TV. Sometimes it's sleep. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's weed. There's all these things that will call our names and lure us to numb ourselves so that we don't actually have to deal with what is going on in our hearts. But here's the beauty of Jesus. When we are in that state, his grace comes to get us. Look at verse 12. It says, come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. So in this moment, when Peter is trying to just distract himself so he didn't have to think about the reality of his own sin and the mission that is set before him, Jesus comes and pursues him and makes him breakfast and says, come and eat with me. See, the risen Jesus still serves those who betrayed him. The reality is that they and we should be serving him. Yet he lives even to this day. The Bible says that he lives to pray for us. He is still serving us in this moment. I don't want this to be lost on you because of the familiarity. One of the, one of the cool things I get to do is talk to people about the scriptures who are unfamiliar with the scriptures. And I begin to tell them, I said, imagine that you are going to trial. And imagine that you were innocent. And imagine that your closest friends abandoned you. What would you do when you saw them again? Now, the man I was talking to said, I slapped him in the face. Let's be real. Like they, they abandoned him at the moment he needed them the most. Yet he doesn't come and wave their sin in front of their faces. He comes and cooks them breakfast. See, we must see Jesus as seeking fellowship with us. Maybe the, the fact that he wanted to eat with them doesn't mean much to you. But I don't know if you remember when you were at school and you got your lunch and you left the lunch line. And you looked around and one of the major decisions you had to make was, who am I going to sit with? Because you knew who you were going to sit with was your people. Jesus is saying, I want you to sit with me. I want you to be in my group. I'm going to pursue you so that that is where you would be. Jesus seeks us out and he is not afraid of our sin. Not only that, he made the meal for them. Listen, now it takes a minute to cook something. When you cook something, you're thinking about the one you're cooking it for. How much you love them. How much you're excited to sit and be with him. See, he is thinking about you even before you return to him. He is preparing a place for you to sit with him. So the first thing that you need to understand about restoration is that Jesus initiates it. He pursues you when you are in sin. He pursues you when you are trying to numb yourself out. Not only that. Jesus wants you to understand the seriousness of your own sin. Look at verse 15. It says, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told them. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he had asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Why did Jesus ask him that three times? 
Why did, like that had to be awkward, right? Do you love me? Yeah. Do you? Yeah. Do you? Like, I think. Like, I don't know. Why did he ask him three times? I want I want you to, to remember. I want you to back up what happened the night before Jesus was crucified. This is from Matthew 26. It says, Jesus said to them, this is his disciples, tonight all of you will fall away because of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter told him, even if everyone falls away because of you, I will never fall away. Truly, I tell you, Jesus told him, told him tonight before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Listen, listen, Peter had way too much confidence in himself. It's like he was saying, look, I don't know about all these other fools, but I ain't, I ain't leaving. I don't know what they're doing. They might, they might go do something stupid. But I know who I am, and I will never deny you. He has so much confidence in himself. This is a manifestation of pride. What we need to understand is there is nothing that you are not capable of doing. It is really easy to look at somebody else. We have a lot of public sin right now. A lot of people falling publicly. And it's really easy to say, well, look at him. Why did he do that? But, beloved, that should make us be humble. There is nothing that we are not capable of. We have to approach the Lord with humility, not letting pride get us and trick us. See, Peter was quick to judge the other disciples. Yeah, these fools might fall. Might fall. I ain't doing it, though. They, they, they kind of stupid anyway. See, we need to stop trying to look into other people's hearts. We're not better than other people. If your conduct happens to be better than the next person, I want you to understand it is only because of God's grace, not because of how good you are. Now, get this. Restoration involves the recognition of our sin. If you remember, it says that when he asked him the third time that he became grieved, maybe at first when he asked him twice, he was confused. But the third time he became grieved because he had to remember when he was in that that place where he denied the Lord three times. In some translations, it says that that. That he cursed. What, what it really means is it's like he was saying, I swear to God, I don't know Jesus. Do you know my swear to God? I don't know God in the flesh. That is the type of stuff he was saying, denying God. And then Jesus looked at him and he remembered. See, we cannot smooth over our sin. We have to look at it in his face. If we want to have restoration, we don't need to talk lightly about sin. Too often we talk about sin and we say it's a mistake. A mistake is when I'm walking and I get tripped up by a rock. It's not a mistake if you cuss somebody out. That's not a mistake. It's wrong. We need to be honest. We don't need to, to lighten the language of what we are doing. If we're doing something wrong, it's not because we accidentally did it. It's because we wanted to do it. And Peter, Peter needed to look at his sin right in the face, remembering that he denied the Lord three times. Whatever it is that you feel might hinder you from seeking the Lord, the solution is not to lighten what it is. The solution is to call it what it is, which is sin. What I love about this is Jesus knows the heart. See, one of the reasons Peter is confused is like, Jesus, you keep asking me if you love me, but you, I know you know what I'm thinking about. See, Jesus is not asking us about our sin because he doesn't understand. Or because he does not know. 
See, confession of sin to God and others is not for God's knowledge, but it is for your healing. That we don't just smudge over sin. Now, what I, what, I, what I love is that this is about Peter's restoration. Remember, Jesus says, do you love me? He says, I, I, you know that I love you. And he says, now I want you to go feed my sheep. See, that's ministry terms. I'm restoring you. I, I am raising you up from where you once were to go serve and love others. Restoration is for the sake of others. Look at verse 17. It says, he asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Pay attention to the proof of the love. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I want you to go spend five hours in a room by yourself. That ain't what he said. Peter, do you love me? I want you to study really hard, Peter. That's not what he said either. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, 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 you know I love you. Go and serve other people. That is what he is talking about. See, Jesus restores us so that we can shepherd others. Now, this language of shepherding is, is used of, of pastoral ministry, of church leadership. What, what does a pastor do? What, what am I supposed to be doing? But one of the things I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to care for people. That's what a shepherd does. He cares for his sheep. That means that you show up for people. When people are hurting, you go and find them. You don't wait until they come to you. You know, I'm training Caleb how many times we didn't got in the car to go get somebody, to go and find people. Shepherding is caring for people. Not only that, it's teaching people. It's, it's teaching people about God's faithfulness to them, that he still loves and that he still cares, that it's explaining the scriptures. If you have ever talked to me and we've ever had a, a conversation about discipleship, best believe we explained and talked about the scriptures. That's how God speaks. And finally, it is correcting. Pastoral ministry is correcting. It's gently calling sin what it is. It's not sugarcoating what it is. But here's the thing. Every single one of us is called to be a shepherd. We are called to care, to teach, and to correct one another. It may be my main responsibility, but it is also your responsibility. If you see somebody in, in pain, if you see somebody deceived and false teaching, if you see somebody tripped up by sin, you call them. Listen, I know that y'all know because every week somebody calls me and they say, is so-and-so okay? What I'm telling you is you need to call them. You need to pursue them. If, if God has put somebody on your heart, whether in this church or not, that is the indication that you would pursue them. And it's awkward. It's, it's confusing. Sometimes I don't want to talk to you. But, beloved, if we have been restored by a love that pursues us even when we were running away, the way that we understand that, the way that it makes, is made known that we understand as we go and pursue others. Now here's something that's really important. We shepherd, we care, we teach, and we correct from our own brokenness. I want you to understand something. Do you think that Peter has any right to be harsh with people? It is written in the Bible that he denied the Lord three times. Everybody know. He can't go, well, what are you doing? They'll be like, man, listen, I read about you. But here's the deal. 
those who are called to care for others, which is every Christian, does not do it because they have everything together. They do it because they have been broken and they have received the Lord's healing. We're not prideful folk who got everything together. We're folk that been broken, that the shepherd has restored. And because the shepherd comes to us in our brokenness and he comes to us gently, we go and pursue others in that same way. Listen, if somebody wants to help me, give me someone who has been through some pain and trouble to care for me. I need someone who sympathize with me. Beloved, your sin, the history of your guilt and your pain does not disqualify you from helping others. It actually qualifies you. If the Lord has dealt with you in the middle of your pain, that means that he is preparing you to, to love and to serve others who are in pain. So, beloved, if we have been restored by the shepherd, if he has pursued us in the middle of our sin, the only logical thing that we can do is that we would go and pursue others. This is not simply my responsibility. It is our responsibility. Now, how can we tend and feed the sheep, as Jesus said? I'll never forget this. I was talking to one guy. We were, we were going to go do a pastoral hospital visit. It was somebody who was terminally ill. I said, what in the world are we going to say? What do you say? We, we, I, you can't... I, 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 he said to me, half of ministry is just showing up. Beloved, we have to show up for one another. That means that we will meet together. I don't want you to think about church functions or things that we do as just things to do. We have a mission to care and love one another. Half of that is just showing up. But beloved, when you show up, when you see people, you, you'll be able to recognize who needs help. You'll be able to, you, you can see it in their face if somebody is in pain. Beloved, if we just show up, we will have so many opportunities to love, to care, to teach, and to correct in one another. Now, what I love is how, how this ends. You might not love it because it sounds harsh, but the fact of the matter is that when we are restored to Jesus, that means that we follow Jesus no matter the cost. Look at verse 18. It says, truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, follow me. That's some that's some gangster stuff. Your life going to be hard. Nevertheless, follow me. Now, here's what church history tells us happened to Pete. What happened to Peter? After years of preaching about Jesus and traveling all over the world. Peter was brought in by the Roman government. He was convicted of preaching the gospel. And they said, Peter, we're going to crucify you. Now, here's what's so crazy. What happened to Peter? Peter said, I am not honorable enough to be crucified to be to, to die in the same way as my lord you know what he told them he said crucify me upside down i can't die like him he's too good listen restoration means understanding the cost of following jesus see peter sinned because the cost of following jesus was 
too high. And the moment uh, when he rejected Jesus, he knew that identifying with Jesus would mean that he might get persecuted, that his life would be inconvenient. This is what causes us. We don't stumble because Jesus is mean. We stumble because when we're following Jesus, we see the cost and it makes us back up. That cost might be our own pleasure, our flesh, the opinions of others, whatever it may be. That is what causes us to stumble. So restoration happens when we know the cost and we follow Jesus anyway. But those who have been forgiven and restored are submissive. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and say that following Jesus is easy. But I'm reminded of the story when Jesus is teaching and there's a bunch of disciples and they say, man, this teaching is hard. And they start leaving. And then it looks to the twelve. And he says, are you going to leave too? And Peter, the same Peter says, where else can we go? For you have the words of life. Where else can I go for the healing and the restoration that you bring? See, we understand that the path Jesus leads us on is the path that he himself walked. We are willing to sacrifice because he sacrificed for us. And beloved, his sacrifice was for the sake of others. And so the way that we express love for God is our willingness to sacrifice for those around us. And I want to end right there. Jesus sacrificed for us first. He hasn't called us to something that he was unwilling to do. I was, I was studying and I, and I came across this quote from, from a church father. His name is Augustine of Hippo. Now, I, this is a sidebar. I just need to say this. I need to say this. Augustine is the African church father who was the father of Western theology. Let me tell you why that's important. You'll hear a lot of language in the streets that'll say that Christianity is the white man's religion or that Christianity is used as a tool of oppression or people will question if the theology that we have is white. I'm not talking about hypothetical. I've had these conversations. So let me just let me just make it plain. The, 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 the reformers, Martin Luther, John Calvin, those guys who did the Reformation in Europe, their main source was Scripture and Augustine, the African church father. See, the father of theology that we are teaching right now was an African man. Now, it doesn't matter. That it's not that one race is better than another, but you need to understand that when people are saying untruths, that Jesus is used in some way to, to elevate one race above another, History shows that that is wrong. Now, here's what Augustine said. The African church father who came from a single parent home who wild out and then came to Jesus. He said, Peter thought he was going to lay down his life for Christ. The one to be delivered on behalf of the deliverer. Seeing that Christ had come to lay down his life on his own. For his own, including Peter. What you see was now done. See, the issue with Peter is that he thought he could sacrifice enough to be ready or to be or, or, or to be enough for God. He, he was going to demonstrate to God how good his holiness was by sacrifice. And that's what caused him to say, if anybody else falls, it ain't going to be me. But restoration means humility, knowing that we are not saved because we have done something. We're not saved because of our sacrifices. We are saved because Jesus humbled himself and sacrificed for us. And Peter remembered and taught this. 
In 1 Peter 2, 24, it says, He himself bore our sins and his body on the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you all, like sheep, were going astray. But you have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. We don't dwell on our sacrifices to follow him. We dwell on his sacrifice. He is the one who bore our sins. He is the one who gifts us righteousness. He is the one who shepherds and oversees our soul. And in view of what he has done in the gospel, our response is we will do anything. Because you have poured out your life. We can pour our lives out for you. So what does this all mean? Beloved, if you are being haunted by the history of your sin, you need to understand that Jesus wants you to draw near to him. You don't need to prepare yourself. You don't need to get yourself right. You need to go to him right now. Beloved, if you have gone to him, you need to trust that he is the overseer of your souls. Even though this life right now is crazy. We can trust the one who died for us, who sits on the throne in heaven to take care of us. And lastly, we should shepherd and serve others as a testament of our love. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that you draw near us. Lord God, you don't, you're not light about our sin. You don't, you don't call it something that it is not. Yet you still pursue us. So, Jesus, I pray for anyone here, Lord, that doesn't know you, that hasn't come to you. Lord, I pray that today will be the day that they would come to you, that they would know that you died for sin, that you rose from the dead and that you love them right where they are. Would you draw them to you by your power? Lord God, for those who are yours, Lord, I pray that we would demonstrate that we understand your love by laying down our lives and loving and serving one another. Lord God, would you make our church a, a picture of love and sacrifice so that you would receive glory and that people would be served. In Jesus' name, amen.